Okay, right, perfect. It is 10.01. Um, so yeah, just for uh, the sake of time, I know everyone's time is valuable. Uh, we can get started here. So again, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for attending today's second presentation of Getting Your Finances on Track with Plan Smart Retirees workshop series. This is the second of four. Uh, again, my name is Nathan LaCroix, and I'm with Dickerson Insurance Services. Uh, so we're here to promote collaboration between the carriers and the brokers. So the goal of these presentations is to share with you our prestigious clients, uh, the fundamentals of getting their finances on track. So first to the brokers on the line right now, just wanted to thank you, you know, for wanting to know a little bit more about MetLife and their RetireWise solutions. And to those clients invited today by our agents, we just want all of you to know you're in very knowledgeable and capable hands. So we do appreciate you working with your broker on a regular basis so they can provide you insight uh, to tried and true solutions. So they are here to do right by you and navigate this fluid environment we now find ourselves in. So it's really more important than ever to continue to work with them. Uh, real quick, some housekeeping items. So we currently have everyone on mute so we can focus on the content. However, you will notice a tool box on the right hand side of your screen. There's a chat and a question box. Either one of those is fine. So during the presentation, feel free to ask or comment on anything that you do see. And at the end of the presentation, we'll field those questions and answer as many as we can. Um, real quick, because this workshop entails proprietary information, uh, this meeting will not be recorded. However, afterwards, we will send contact information and some really beneficial documents that we think you'll find useful. Uh, so real quick, going into the introduction here with Dickerson, again, we do believe in the collaborative way. With uh, Dickerson, we're part of the Alera Group. So it's uh, it's an acquisition firm in Chicago, Illinois. We've got over uh, 80 firms and 2,000 teammates uh, nationwide. So we're definitely here to help any way we can in terms of collaboration and networking. And being the most experienced GA in California, of course, we were able to strengthen our local reputation earned over the years, but now we're here to provide leading edge, edge strategies for collaboration and, uh, of course, the networking as well. Uh, and that actually is what brings us here today. So again, this is the second of four series in the workshop. Uh, they are once a week, same time. So if you did register for this one, not to worry, you've been automatically registered for the remaining workshops. So just make sure you check your calendar, just make sure they're all in there. So with that, I do uh, now want to hand the controls over to the MetLife folks, that's Jimmy Deal and Mari Noyes from MetLife, here to explain how to do all this efficiently and in more detail. So while I do hand off the controls, Jimmy, Mari, if you'd like to say hello to the, uh, hello to the crowd, please feel free. All right, I'll jump in real fast. My name is Mari Noyes. I work for MetLife and I represent our Plan Smart programs. So for the brokers on the, the program today, this is a no-cost value-add financial wellness educational workshop series that you can bring to your customers. And for the groups who are on the line today, this is something that MetLife offers to groups of all sizes, all demographics across the entire country to really supplement and complement what you already do. We're not here to replace your retirement plan. We're not here to replace any type of wellness education that you do. We're just another tool that you can bring to your employees to help them really learn to help themselves on their financial wellness journey. So as Nathan mentioned at the beginning, uh, we'll have some contact info put up at the end, but at any time, you know, feel free to, to send a question on the chat or to, to get that question through your, your broker back to Dickerson and it'll find its way to us. So 
I'm going to stop talking and turn it over to Jimmy, who is just an amazing presenter and advisor, and, and I'm sure you'll enjoy his, uh, his wealth of knowledge today. <laughs> Thanks, Mari. Can you hear me okay? Can I do one more audio-visual check? We can see the presentation. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, welcome to session or module two of the four-part series, the creating and managing wealth um, topic. And real quick on my bio, I know hopefully some of you a lot of uh, familiar faces or names from last week. I don't like to spend too much time on myself, but really bridging the gap between MetLife. Uh, they have vetted advisors. It's an award-winning program, and it fit perfectly with what I used to do. And so, again, outside of being properly licensed on the security side, the insurance side, having professional designations, that's all great. But at the end of the day, for me, it was when I was hiring pharmacists and working in drugstores in my 20s, I couldn't tell you how many times people would come to me with their first pay stub and say, what are all these deductions? What do the taxes mean? How much am I putting into the 401k? What's the match? What's LTD for long-term disability? What does it cover? You know, what's an HSA account versus a flexible spending account? And so again, I really want today to be more about the content and what we deliver to um, employees of various companies and sizes throughout the United States. I have to say that I've taught a lot of different types of seminars, if you will, or topicals um, over the last eight years this is by far the best and i am not just saying that as one of the vetted advisors um and i know mari's on the line as well right now with metlife it, it is hands down it makes sense meaning it, it we kind of crawl before we walk walk before we run and it helps people understand how to make financial decisions and really quite frankly what do all these acronyms mean in the world of insurance and investments? I know a lot of people on this call are, are considered colleagues and peers, so that always is a little bit of extra pressure, and I'm saying that with a smile on my face. But we've all probably you know, caught ourselves even using financial jargon because it's terms that we're used to, but when we're communicating that to the public or to clients or even amongst one another, we can't forget that not everyone knows what these acronyms are. So that's really where it comes down for the employees as well to help understand uh, their open enrollment benefits. That's really where I got my start in helping young professionals look through their open enrollment benefits and not just gravitate to the exciting stuff, which is the 401k, and we'll talk about that today and in creating and managing wealth and not just the right health plan um, for themselves and their family, but let's not overlook a lot of the valuable benefits that are given to a lot through, through employers to their employees. So you'll remember this from last week. I, I mentioned it'll be a common theme as, as far as the financial blueprint or a house. And it's like hiring the architect, right? To come in and make sure there's a solid foundation we've got to set goals last week we talked about budgeting expenses uh hopefully you all got the excel working spreadsheet that we sent out as well that you can save and use on your own however you want um we talked a little bit about tax strategies and and i gave the example of you know we we want to diversify with asset location not just stocks bonds and mutual funds 
i.e. what account does it live in? Is it within a retirement plan that it's all tax deferred? Does it live in a brokerage account world where we're gonna get hit with capital gains but still have access to it? Or is it in maybe uh, the Roth world where we paid taxes up front and we get to take it out tax-free? We're gonna dive deeper into that today during session two, which is really the accumulation. I think this is where our industry focuses a lot of time. It's also a huge marketing generator. If you watch CNN or CNNBC or really Google anything, I and mean, it's like mutual funds coming at you left and right or whatever exciting fund they just created for technology or healthcare. And it, it is very important, don't get me wrong. Um, but I did mention last week as well, equally important is the retirement income planning, which we'll cover next week. And then we cannot overlook those open enrollment benefits that we get through work. We can't overlook legal plans when it comes to estate planning. Legacy can be important to people via life insurance or really just estate planning in general and, and overall risk management, which could also include auto, home and umbrella insurance. So without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and just get started here. Um, the budget worksheet went out. Again, I think that this is critical. It, it went out in an Excel version, so if you don't want to print it out and, and write it in, that's fine. Although I do find that as a useful activity. I think we're so digitally um, enabled these days that we just want to type everything in or have it done for us. But this is available to print out or actually type in the categories. And even when I when we get into next week with retirement income planning. I always like to tell people, if you're just starting out in your career, you're in the middle of your career, or you're getting towards the end of your career, we still need to track the expenses. And it's okay to have needs today and then wants to increase certain categories of spending, i.e. if the kids are now out of college or your house is paid off, maybe that becomes just a different category on your cash flow and we earmark it vacation fund or actual traveling or eating and dining, whatever the case is. So, rule of 25, um, a lot of people ask me, actually weekly, during client meetings, how do I save a million dollars? And in my mind, I wanna say, it's not really a, a fair question, because we've done that as an industry to tell everybody, here's your golden number of a nest egg and all will be well, right? And the reason why we start this presentation today with the cash flow is because it doesn't matter what the end number is if we control the expenses and we can generate enough income. And that number might be far less than what I'm about to teach you of this rule of 25 or the 4% rule from the nest egg. I, I don't know where, how it happened exactly, but the message was always save early and often, usually from our grandparents or previous generations, but then maybe mutual fund companies or investment managers, and I am one, so I don't wanna say like, I'm not speaking against anyone. It's like, let's build up all this wealth, but there's really no plan of how to spend, use and enjoy it. So to satisfy the question of how much do I need to live comfortably, there is a rule of 25. Meaning if you're earning 100 grand a year and you want to multiply it by 25, $2.5 million would be the quote unquote nest egg. And if we want to use the 401k as an example, that's great. If we're able to actually get the growth and max out contributions, 
And then if you draw 4% of that 2.5 million, the reason why it works is because it gets close to your salary during your working years. Now, the next slide I think is more realistic. And I know there's a lot going on here, but, but here's the bottom line. We don't need to rely just on one account to do everything, right? And that's where entire retirement income planning and working with an advisor is so important because otherwise we'll get sucked into what we see on TV or read on the internet that I have to max out just one type of account, get to that golden number, and then it's smooth sailing. Um, you know, what if we only need that five grand a month or what if we need more because of inflation? Have we taken into account things like social security payments, pensions? And I know that pensions for the most part have been replaced by 401ks, but it doesn't mean that for everyone on this call tuning in, that you don't know someone who could be in your household. They could be a spouse or a partner. It could be a client of yours. Maybe somebody else has different benefits and the pension needs to be taken into account for that. I've also seen different opinions on social security. With my clients, when I'm building out a plan, I'll say, when was the last time you went to the ssa.gov and pulled your, your statement you used to get every single year in the mail? And they say, oh yeah, those stopped coming. And I say, yeah, they cut it out in like 2010 to save money. And again, I'm laughing with a smile on my face because I'm sure that saved a ton of money, but it's very, very critical, right? To understand, well, if I'm on track for 2,300 or $2,700 a month in retirement, or somewhere in between, if you feel like the, the program is gonna change, that all takes the burden off of where we have to save money in conjunction with our expenses. So really, when I show that previous slide, people freak out and go, 2.5 million? Jimmy, I'm just trying to get two kids through college. I live in California. My property taxes are through the roof. That's a big number. Yes, it is. But keep in mind, we can break it down as well into something that's more manageable. And planning is all about taking steps in the right direction, not trying to do it overnight. So investment guiding principles. In the next few slides here, we're going to talk about knowing investment options, understanding some of the risks, diversification, staying invested, and rebalancing. So the first, I really enjoy these next few slides because with how creative the market's getting with repackaging or designing what funds are called or stocks or mutual funds or ETFs. And I know I just said I'm using financial jargon. I'm doing that by design right now because we get hit left and right. Even as a registered investment advisor, I catch myself having to double or triple check. Yeah, I'm not confusing that because all they did was give it a different name. But if we look at what it's actually invested in, it's what I thought it was or, or, or not. And so when we come down to the four uh, pools or buckets that you could invest in, trust me when I say that no matter how fancy the flavor of the month is or what it's called, it still fits into something that is considered money market accounts or savings and possibly CDs, also known as demand deposits that you can get in and out relatively quickly with high liquidity, conservative, meaning municipal bonds, government bonds, or corporate. And the example I give here is, is when I was working for Walgreens, you know, you can buy debt from many, many different entities. There's a lot of people that issue debt, which is no different than just a, you're now a creditor. That's what a bond is. They will pay you back over time with a stated interest rate. 
and you should get your money back after that 10, 20 or 30 year period. The safest are the government bonds, mainly because they have the power to tax, like unlimited taxation and also the unlimited ability to, to print money. And I, I know usually when you hear that, you think inflation, but it, basically those have been the go-to when it comes to the treasury, the United States treasury, that's what fits in the government bond category. Corporate bonds, this goes back to my Walgreens story of when Walgreens was expanding like crazy in the Phoenix area in the early 2000s, where you saw a Walgreens or a CVS on every street corner. Both Walgreens and CVS, maybe, I don't know this for a fact, they probably issued bonds to actually raise money for some of that expansion versus using their own assets. So you could have corporate bonds. A lot of corporations do the same thing the United States government does. But the reason why they pay a little bit more on the interest rate is because there's a there's a slight risk factor that that corporation could go out of business and they can't just keep taxing or printing money if something goes wrong. So that's all a corporate bond is. It just means that Walgreens or CVS or for me as a 49ers fan, the city of Santa Clara going to the municipal bonds wanted to build a new stadium. Sometimes it's all private money, sometimes it's the city, and now you're relying on the city not to go bankrupt. And that's what municipal bonds are too, that are usually a little bit more local. Then we move over to the growth category. This is where stocks fit in. Yes, mutual funds can be within the growth category, but I wanna say historically, even an equity-driven mutual fund, which just simply means you have a little bit of a lot of different companies versus just one individual share of a stock, it's still within the growth element of today's presentation. And even the people who are the most risk adverse do need some sort of growth within their portfolio, even if it's just a little bit overall to outpace inflation. And then alternative asset classes, precious metals and real estate. And I guess we could throw in Bitcoin right now as an alternative, but at the end of the day, again, hopefully, if you're thinking about this and saying, huh, I wonder where this fund or what I own fits, I can say with a high degree of certainty, it's still a foundation, foundational tool, conservative growth or alternative. That has not changed for you know, over a hundred years. So I already went through this and gave you examples, but just think of foundational means you can get to it, but you're probably not gonna get any kind of an exciting rate of return. And the purpose is really to have access and liquidity. Conservative, I, I feel like I did a, a decent job of this before, but Bonds can be tax-free if they're municipal. Sometimes they can be exempt from certain taxes, but at the end of the day, they're conservative in nature because it's a promise to be paid back with a good history for the most part of getting your money back after a stated period of time and earning a little interest along the way for being a creditor to that entity, municipality, or government. Growth, <clears throat> stocks, and equity mutual funds. Very, very critical. And yes, they will go up and down. And we're gonna talk about bucketing strategies and how separating your portfolios can actually help you not make ill-timed decisions versus the old school way of doing it, which is you have one giant portfolio trying to do everything for you. And that's usually where the panic sets in. And then again, specialty investments can be precious metals and real estate.
So Nathan, before I transition, I'm just going to take a quick sip of water. My biggest fear is always that technology went down on me and I'm talking to myself. So if you can just verify that we're still good, that would be awesome. Currently, everything is great. Thank you for checking in. Um, just to also just engage a little bit with, um, with, with the clients and the brokers on the line right now. If you're still able to uh, hear Jimmy as well as if you're able to see the screen still, in the questions and chat box, if you could just type in a quick yes, just to make sure um, our bandwidth is still uh, a go and uh, we actually have, um, we're not disconnected. Okay, a lot of yeses. Thank you, Sandra. I appreciate that. Awesome. All right. Looks like uh, right. everyone can still hear and see the, the content. All right, you are good Great. to go. Thank you, Nathan. Appreciate it. Um, so, you know, inflation. We talked a little bit last week about this, um, and this is really tied into that growth foundational pillar. And, and it really, you know, when I got into this industry, I thought it was kind of that whole, okay, you're 35 or you're 45, so you should invest this way or that. And, and that still bugs me to this day, right? When people give advice who are unlicensed and don't know anything about their situation and say, you know, Mari, just because you're 40 years old means that you should be more aggressive with your money. And the reason why I'm tying this back to inflation and equity and, and stocks and growth is because don't be someone that you're not and understand the risk return trade-off. But if we do stick all the money in those conservative bonds, even if interest rates were higher or a cash position, eventually your own personal inflation rate will start eat away, eating away of that purchasing power of the, of the money. And, and I believe last week I did make the statement too that everyone has their own personal inflation rate. Don't just let the rule of thumb say that everything's gonna go up by 3%. You all have a different personal consumption rate versus me or anybody else on the call. And it's always going to be different at different stages of your life. For example, maybe somebody you know, drives a car more often, it needs to be replaced every five to seven years because they drive it into the ground or they put a lot of miles on it. Maybe you have teenage drivers you have to worry about purchasing cars for at that stage of your life. Maybe you're feeding a family of four versus a family of two, right? Maybe you have pet expenses. Me personally, my dog is spoiled. I mean, I literally pay half a mortgage for him to have the best life possible. Totally worth it, by the way. But that's an expense that I'm like, okay, do I see myself having that forever? At first I said no, but then I'm like, I don't think I could live without a dog ever in my life. So that's probably something that I'm gonna need to carry forward in the perpetuity. My point here to not get off track is, is that everyone will have different health statuses and consumption rates on the things that they either need or enjoy, that needs versus wants worksheet. And we need to plan for that with some sort of a growth pool of money so that the purchasing power risk doesn't you know, creep in faster when it comes to overall inflation for the goods and services that you consume. Diversification, all right, this is by far my favorite slide and hopefully some of you have seen this movie but imagine you're stuck in traffic and, and the movie i'm referring to is the opening scene of office space and if you haven't seen it it's fine i'm just going to take you down that opening scene 
Yeah, uh, basically the main character is stuck in traffic. So imagine if you're in LA, San Francisco, Chicago, right? Doesn't matter where you are in the US, just think of a major city or being in gridlock traffic. And where am I going with this? This is the um, epitome of somebody telling you, oh, you should be in real estate. You should be in small cap equity. All of these are just different fund classes of um, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and what I showed for those core pillars. And, and I love it because imagine you're stuck in traffic and you look to the left, you look to the right, and inevitably a lane's going faster than you. And you look in your rear view mirror, the side view mirror, and you say, okay, I'm gonna safely cut this next person off and get to the left or get to the right. Um, you do it, and then what happens? It, that lane that you just left starts moving and you come to a stop, okay? It, this happens in finance with investing all the time. People make decisions based on past data. And if what you see here is emerging markets, okay, well, after 2008, because of the global meltdown from the mortgage crisis, everything was down. It makes sense that the emerging market equity funds were the best producing class in 2009. Then it dipped a little in 2010, then it was the worst in 2011, so on and so forth. And you can see this on the screen. And my point here is that we often will look at data that's already printed or it's already, a, we think is a great idea, but if it's already being talked about, then usually the ship has sailed. And I'm not sitting here saying we can't you know, get ahead of these things, but this is where professional money managers and not someone like myself who's, who's speculating just like you are, how important it is for these chartered financial analysts within 401k plans, 403b plans, even a lot of the funds you buy maybe on your own could be professionally managed and they oftentimes are. And that's the, the, the beauty of actually a 401k plan or a lot of these plans through employers is that behind the scenes at Vanguard, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, you name it, John Hancock, they've got very smart people, a lot of times with PhDs, with a ton of market experience that will make these decisions to rebalance portfolios and hopefully the, the, the actual assets within the funds are floating somewhere around up in this tier and you're not jumping around all the time on your own. So that is one of my favorite slides to share mainly because I, I find humor in the movie Office Space. You haven't seen it and you want to get a good laugh, but imagine at least anything. Don't be the person stuck in traffic where you just go to the left or right and then your lane comes to a stop. Kind of have a plan, know your risk tolerance and know what you're okay with versus being, you know, reactionary to everything that you hear or read. Determinants of portfolio performance. This is interesting to me. I know it looks like a Pac-Man eating, I guess, a slice of an apple. But asset allocation being properly diversified makes up for the majority of returns. That's what you're reading on the screen. 93.6% of overall long-term gains and returns on funds are because you stay the course and you're properly diversified based on your risk tolerance. The 6.4, yes, is market timing and security selection. So I don't wanna discount that for a minute. There are very smart people on this call. I have an account that I trade in outside of my long-term investment strategies that I call my speculation account. 
I've hit home runs and I've failed miserably, but I'm not about to put that market timing or security selection on my own against a 30-year history of CFAs within a long-term plan. So wherever you fall, that's fine, but the, there's a very small majority that actually uh, get it right, get it right often, and really uh, hit it out of the park if you wanna use, use a baseball term. The reason why I left this slide in here as far as market index descriptions is in the digital workbook that you were sent out, I think this is good to revisit. And it's not, even as an advisor, I reread what these benchmarks are often. And here's why. It's not just because if I met somebody and they're a client of mine, I want them to go past the Series 7 exam and I want to teach them about the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000 and the MSCI, right, and all that. But what happens on client statements, when you get a quarterly statement for a 401k, a brokerage account, anything securities related where you have to get a copy every three months, either digitally, electronically, or in the mail, it can be, it's unfairly compared oftentimes to everyone on TV, just so you know. The one index they always tout is the S&P 500 because it's the top 500 companies in the US. It's the Apples, the Googles, the Teslas. But let's just say your risk tolerance is a four out of a five on a one to 10 scale. And you have blended funds or you have balanced funds and you have some of those core pillars that are mixed and it's not all just in one bucket. You're going to be sorely disappointed when you see that the market's up 20% in a year, but your portfolio did 8%, right? And so what I try to help people understand is, is ignore the benchmark unless it's actually um, correlated to how you're invested. And I think this is a great slide just so people can understand, well, what is the MSCI? Oh, the Morgan Stanley Index. Okay, so it looks at developed markets in Europe, the Middle East, Pacific region, and Canada. I think this is good stuff not to become an expert in, but just to familiarize yourself so that you don't actually unfairly compare your portfolio or its performance to things that are not apples to apples. So determining your risk tolerance. This is important. I know that a lot of people on here are probably familiar with that, especially if you work in the investment world or if you've ever opened an online account where you're now invested, they usually ask you a series of questions like, what's, you know, what's your tax status, single or married filing jointly? What's your income? They ask a few questions on risk tolerance. But what I like about this one in the book is I actually have my clients do this every couple of years. Sometimes I'll have them do it every year or more than once a year. And here's why. Your risk tolerance will change. I told you earlier in this conversation that actually one of my pet peeves is when people say just because you're 35, you should be ultimately aggressive with all of your investments. Talk about a dangerous thing to say on the radio or to millions of people and say, oh, okay, because Susie Orman said it, then I, I guess I should do that. And then what if they lose everything or if it goes down 20 or 30% or they weren't in the position to even take on that risk? So my point here is that you do need to understand yourself. You can't compare yourself unfairly to the person to your left or your right or the retired physician at the end of the street who brags about how well his stock portfolio is doing because maybe they're able to take on more risk because they've got tons of money 
in reserves or in that savings component of the core pillars. Everyone's different. The other thing I like to point out on this slide is, even for a lot of us that didn't panic during when COVID first hit the markets, and I'm gonna go back to March of 2020, we were starting to see some uncertainty and be like, man, how is this really gonna affect us? Or is it gonna be over? Or is it gonna be devastating? By April, we kind of got our answer worldwide. The markets, I wouldn't say crashed, but you know, a 20% decline was scary. And then people getting laid off and furloughed. If I gave you this risk tolerance, in January, February of 2020 and handed it to you again in May of 2020, there's no way you would have answered it exactly the same way in every category. I know some of you are thinking, Jimmy, I got ice water in my veins. I would have been a three or a four all across the board, but I, I tested this out on some of my clients and that's really where I feel like I made a good impact. Just, just to have conversations, not tell them what to do, but just reassess where we're at because we are reactionary by nature as human beings, but just a sounding board of saying, well, before we worry too much about the portfolio, give me a cash update savings. Is everyone's job secure? Are your incomes going down? Are you temporarily laid off? I, I started with the foundational pieces and then we moved on to this so that we can make a better decision. And I wanna tell you right now, I. 2020 was very rewarding and challenging. I can't tell you how many people I helped get through furloughs, laid off, rehired, PPP loans, EIDL loans, and I wasn't making a whole lot of money from it, but that's not the point. I felt really, really good getting a lot of those families and households through it and then the best phone calls i'm getting are number one that everyone stayed safe and healthy and nobody you know passed away because i know that happens and and even more excitingly hey i got my job back or i'm back to my full-time salary that will dictate raises promotions a spouse or a partner going back to work after the first few years of raising the kids that will change your risk tolerance a lot of you are probably familiar with pie charts as far as you see these kind of charts and analysis and all it's saying is and don't take this for face value don't don't like say hey if i'm conservative i need to go have 20 percent in cash you know 57 percent intermediate bonds i guess three percent in high yield and, and and a reit right but it's just saying hey what am i going to have more of if i'm conservative moderate or aggressive and when it comes down to, again, the different asset allocations, the cash and the bonds, relatively safe. There is some interest rate risk along the way, but it's more about the liquidity and knowing it's gonna be there after a certain time period. Moderate portfolios, you know, in this example, we have a lot of large cap, mid cap, and then we move on the small cap and international funds. Let me just give you a quick breakdown on what those acronyms mean. Large cap are the top capitalization usually by revenue or total assets for a company in the united states meaning at one point in time apple probably in the 80s or 90s was a small cap company small capitalization they didn't own the market yet but very very quickly they might have even skipped the mid cap category and jumped straight to large cap or mega cap as they call it tesla you know um Google, all of these companies at one point in time, 
we're over here on the small cap side with the biggest risk to possibly go out of business, but also explode with the most return. And that's when you, whenever you look at Morningstar.com or even your actual statement, you can find very, very quickly by just typing in a company's name. I usually prefer the direct websites for research, but it will tell you what their capitalization and their growth is. And I wouldn't focus too much on the rate of return fit somewhere where if you're like, hey, I'm ready to ride the wave with these small cap companies because I know one or two will come through. Well, that's more of an aggressive stance, but that's your risk return trade-off. And the beauty of mutual funds or even individual stocks is you can build your own portfolios and take on calculated risk. And you, your pie chart is going to look completely different than the other person next to you if you design it accordingly. So now we kind of get to the, the whole key takeaways the next few slides with managing risk in the bucket approach. I, I am big on this. When I came in, it was when I got my retirement income certified professional designation through the American College. I really fell in love with trying to mentally break down for people to transition into retirement because number one, it's hard. Number one, it's an extremely difficult to have an identity of working for 40 years or 30 plus years and then say, okay, I've saved, 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 saved this, this pool of money or the nest egg. And then you kind of freak out when you go on a, a budget, if you will, or what are my retirement income sources? Or if there's a market shift or change, you will think differently when there's no longer your own paycheck coming from a company every two weeks. So to help with this, the now, the now bucket of money later and much later is something I teach to my 20-year-old clients and I still teach it in their 60s. And here's why. In your 20s, I went through this. I maxed out a 401k and then I transitioned careers from Arizona back to California where I was born and raised. Guess who had no cash savings as a 22-year-old going out with friends? This guy. Guess who cashed out a 401k even though I knew I shouldn't have done it but learned the hard way of losing nearly 40% of its value. It was great that I was saving there, but I had no now money. I had no liquid savings or really sub savings at the time. So we always need to have that six months of fixed expenses ideally in the now on demand money so that if the electrical panel goes out, washing machine, whatever it is, roof, dryer, um, you have the money there and you won't tap in at an inopportune time to other types of accounts. Later money, in my opinion, is perfect for brokerage accounts. It really does fit well where you have access to it. And when I say the word brokerage account, that could be E-Trade, could be Schwab, could be Fidelity Online, could be um, Robinhood Online. There are so many choices, but the later money is intended to still kind of set it and forget it, get some growth. But if you need to go and pull it out, you'll deal more with capital gains taxes and it won't be tied up in the IRS rules of retirement accounts. Much later money is absolutely your 401ks, 403bs, 457s and IRAs. Simply because we can't touch a lot of those assets until 59 and a half, sometimes 55, like 457s but much later on. And I'm not saying that that should be your aggressive pool of money, but think about when we went back to this, 
instead of having one account try and do all of these things, you can have different portfolios that you fund on a regular basis from your cash flow that meets the now money or the liquid or conservative kind of savings approach, your later money and your much later money, which is again, generally retirement accounts for the long term. So I just went through a little bit of the different buckets. I'm gonna pause real quick, Nathan. I've got, I only have about five minutes left here for my presentation today, but any questions come through or are we still good? Uh, taking a look at the questions, right now we are good so far, but again, just as a reminder to all of the attendees, if any questions have come up uh, in your mind right now, if you wanna just pop those in the questions or the chat box, either one, and we'll be sure to field those at the end. Uh, just to clarify with everyone as well, um, Jimmy may have to hop off to another meeting, but again, we do have Mari who's going to finish up the meeting and field those questions as well. Yep, and I will absolutely make myself available to Nathan if there's anything personal or investment related or insurance related to that I, I can speak one-on-one. -on -one. Just know that today's really the only session that I have to transition rather quickly, so um, I will be available one-on-one. -on -one. I already got some great emails from a lot of the attendees from last week, so I appreciate that and looking forward to connecting with you one-on-one -on -one if you have specific questions as well. So I started planting the seed last week on asset location is equally important to diversification, and this is what I mean by this. If we just assume that we know taxes are gonna stay the same forever, that's kind of like sticking our heads in the sand and saying, okay, let's just pump a bunch of money into our 401k, which is a great start. And, and quite frankly, if that wasn't an automatic contribution for a lot of people, and going back to me in my early 20s when I didn't really have the discipline um, to save a bunch on the side and not tap into it, that's why those rules are there. A lot of people think that the 10% early penalty withdrawal in retirement accounts is so that you know, the IRS can get their hands on more money. It's actually to keep people from dipping their hand into the cookie jar. And oftentimes the match through an employer, which is deductible for the employer, is a good incentive for you to actually contribute so that they'll match you up to a certain percentage. So tax deferred investments, there's nothing bad with it. But just keep in mind, tax law changes will change. We don't know, it's an open handshake with the federal government to say, hey, look, we'll worry about this later and I'll give you a deduction today. When you shift over to the taxable investments, those are your individual stocks. It can be bonds and mutual funds, although you don't really wanna do that in a, in a non-retirement account, stocks are okay or ETFs, just because you will get a 1099 at the end of each year for the interest or the dividends. But taxable investments with individual stocks or ETFs that trade with stocks and real estate fit, fits into that bucket as well, when you sell it off, you realize gains and then you'll worry about the taxes at the capital gains rate. So it kind of fits somewhere in the middle. And then tax-free investments are your Roths your life insurance cash value. It can be municipal bonds. There are certain things up in that top bucket that don't wanna be overlooked. And I know I'm talking to a lot of people right now who have many of the same licenses I do. I think, I truly think people 
get so caught up on the rate of return of something that they don't understand that just simply having it there will make their other assets perform better or even allow you to spend more income. And I will put a plug in right now, just real quick for this. I see it with life insurance more than anything else. Everybody's always disappointed. I don't care what kind of a policy it is, index universal life, whole life, wh whatever the flavor is, right? And they're like, oh yeah, two, three, four percent. I can do better in the S&P 500. And they overlook the fact that that death benefit is future money. That is time value of money. It's actually discounted and it's leveraged. And that means with it being in place heading into retirement or throughout your life, you're gonna be able to spend what's down here and over here much more freely because it's backing it up. And again, I, I'm not gonna get into it too much today. That's just kind of my personal opinion, but it's from experience. Years of seeing people do this and then they want it in their 60s. And I know that the tax, uh, the, the cash value can be tax-free, but it, you know, Roths are equally important. I love Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks. I think they're awesome. And I hope that the laws never change so that they're never subjected to required minimum distributions or any kind of taxes because that was the agreement up front. All right, moving on. Here's some of the type of accounts. I went through this, sometimes I get ahead of myself because I don't wanna read every slide, but again, in the taxable portion of those buckets, you've got checking accounts, brokerage accounts, and real estate. Um, you got your Roth 401ks and 403bs and individual Roths if you're available to contribute. Municipal bond interest and cash value life insurance. 401ks, your traditional IRAs, simple SEPs, and, and annuities can also fit into that category as well. One thing I want to point out is that a lot of people call me this time of year, normally a month ago, but since we got another tax deadline extension, they'll say, Jimmy, I earned too much money for a Roth IRA. And I say, okay, well, that's a good problem to have, right? But are you looking at an individual Roth IRA? And they said, yeah, I just looked it up online. And, and I have to laugh and say, okay, stop doing that and just call me. But do you have a Roth 401k through work? And they go, yeah. And I go, okay, then we need to just look at your ability to defer the 19,500 per year, either into the traditional 401k or the Roth 401k. And there's no income discrimination limits on the Roth side of the 401k program. And usually their eyes light up and they go, you mean I can do 10 in one and 9,500 in the other or any variation in between? I say, absolutely. We just got to sit down and look at what's right for you so that we don't bump you to a higher tax bracket. But it is possible to pay for some of those contributions up front and let it grow tax-free and take it out tax-free as long as we're also taking advantage of the employer match and we're putting enough into the pre-tax bucket if appropriate. Staying invested. I was kind of shocked by this. I looked it up, but um, this is, we've always heard early bird gets the worm, save early and often, but this is actually people who miss the top rebounds or trading days in any kind of a, a, a market cycle year. I believe the market's open about 240 or 50 days out of 365 days in a year because weekends and holidays are, are non-trading days. So out of the 240 plus opportunities we have to see the markets go up and down every day, 
it's fascinating for me though to see people who miss the top five trading days because maybe they're the, they're in that lane and they're switching lanes left and right thinking they can time the market or they know what's going to happen next i would say if you put in 10 grand over 20 years you wouldn't be upset if your money doubled so i want to make that clear but missing the top five days is fascinating then when you move over to missing basically two weeks of trading it diminishes and if you miss an entire let's call it month of of a good rebound because you moved the cash and then you missed out on all the gains or you you got in four months later because that's really investor behavior then you miss out on a lot of that recovery and then subsequent growth after that as well so i thought that was pretty fascinating and then lastly here um before i have to hop off and turn it over to mari you know don't let your emotions get the best of you easier said than done but going back to that bucket strategy of knowing you have now money, later money, and much later money, you will actually cut down on this cycle. Right now, what scares me is I even catch myself doing this on my Schwab brokerage account. I'm buying stuff that I know is literally not just overpriced at Nordstrom's, but we're talking I'm walking into Neiman Marcus and buying it. I really want Macy's prices, which is why I'll do it consistently on a regular basis. But it is a little scary that a lot of people buy when we're getting towards the top. Nobody also knows when the peak or the valley is gonna come. You really don't know until you're actually there. And so then it slows down, recession, people panic, they sell off. And again, they don't get back in until really back up here, which completes that whole cycle. So I'm going to leave my contact information up here. I know we're about 10 minutes left. I probably, Nathan, have time for one or two questions before I have to hop off. But again, I wanted to end with this and hand it off to Mari so that people could definitely connect with me one-on-one. -on -one. Okay, that sounds great, thank you. Um, there was one question that did come in is, how are checking accounts taxable? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, checking accounts, believe it or not, back in the 90s, just like CDs that actually paid you a stated interest rate, you would get a 1099 INT at the end of each year. Very few of us keep enough money in a checking account to even generate any interest. But technically speaking, even if you earn $5 in interest throughout the year in this very low interest rate environment, it will generate a 1099 that you would technically have to file with your taxes. But the reason why that checking and savings and CD won't leave that area ever on these slides is because going back to people, I still have clients that have CDs that are maturing next year that are getting paid 2.9 or 3%. And that includes checking and savings, but none of us have seen that in a very long time. Yeah, I, I have yet to see any dividends that's worth anything, maybe like pennies exactly. to the dollar. Yeah. It would be a minuscule uh, amount, let's put it that way. You might get 37 cents. Yeah, something around that uh, sounds about right. Um, but uh, it looks like that's all we have for right now. So if you need to hop off, feel free to do so. Uh, Mari, uh, we will... Um, hand off hand everything off over to you i'll actually uh change the presenter view just so we have uh at least something to see while we finish up the meeting and wait for any last minute questions i personally had one as well that i would like to ask 
And I just want to say thank you, Nathan and Mari. I'm going to hop off. And and for everyone next week, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll show up early and I can even stay late next week to kind of make up for this. So I appreciate everyone's time. Thanks, Great. Jimmy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having you, Jimmy. Thank you. Nathan, did you want to ask your question? And I can see if I know the answer or we will parking lot it for Jimmy for next week. Sure, of course. Uh, so the question I had that um, I think uh, I'm sure you know some brokers and clients might have as well. Uh, so for clients with MetLife products, I know that Jimmy mentioned earlier that this, or actually you mentioned earlier that um, this was something that could be offered for free as an as like a, an addendum uh, for training for those who have MetLife for clients that currently have MetLife products. How would the RetireWise program best be implemented? I.e., is there a contact person at MetLife that we can speak with, or someone that can train employees, employers, and even brokers on the retirement planning outside of these meetings that we're having right now? That would be me. So my role, is, I'm a MetLife employee. I've been at Met for 34 years. I've been doing our PlanSmart programs since 2010. It's truly my passion, and we work with groups that have MetLife benefits, but this program is also available at no cost for groups that have nothing with MetLife. And, and usually right now, somebody's scratching their head, shaking their head, going, wait a minute, Mar, there's no such thing as a free lunch. How in the world do you do this program, these workshops, this access to the advisor, all for free? And it's because I'm not part of the sales channel at MetLife. I'm part of what we call financial wellness and employee engagement. Sometimes people call it communications uh, or marketing. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of a, a cost center at MetLife, but we deliver this to the marketplace for a couple of reasons. For our MetLife customers, for, for people who have MetLife group benefits, it's another value add that we can bring to the table because we know employers are, are looking for, for more features, more value, more things to kind of sweeten the pot. Uh, for groups that do not have any MetLife benefits in force, if this is their first exposure to MetLife, it's such a great program. And the, the way that we roll it out, where we provide all the communications and the links and, and trying to make it as turnkey as possible for the employer, if this is their first ever exposure to working with MetLife, when you benefit brokers, did their dental or their disability or their life or their voluntary or their legal or whatever benefits that Met might be in the mix, um, that maybe they'll ask, hey, can you bring MetLife in as a finalist? Can you make sure you get a quote from MetLife? Because we really like working with them on their PlantSmart program. We, we, we like their, their company, their values, the way that they operate, uh, and we, we'd like to learn more about them for another benefit. So we don't solicit through this program. And as you can tell from Jimmy's delivery, there's, there's no selling, there's no product promotion uh, for you brokers out there on, on the WebEx today that we don't go solicit your customers. We, we aren't out there direct prospecting in any way, but we know that if we can be introduced to an employer with something like the RetireWise program, it does open doors for us eventually. So long That's answer. Really <laughs> That's really great. Thank you for the information. So just to summarize everyone, uh, this is free to um, to all of you, whether you have MetLife products or not. So we definitely encourage you to reach out 
to Mari. And of course, at the end of this meeting, we'll provide all of the contact information as well as, again, some really, uh, really amazing documents that we know that you'll find very useful. But definitely reach out so we can continue these conversations and really help those clients out about retiring, uh, retiring wise. Um, I'm taking a look. I'm seeing if there's any other uh, questions. It looks like we don't have any at the moment. So good job uh, with Jimmy. Good job with Mari. It looks like uh, we were fairly informative. Uh, but for those of you on the line, again, we do have next week's meeting. Um, so definitely stay tuned for that. Check your calendar. It's going to be establishing your retirement income stream. So that's going to be part three of the series. Uh, and then we'll um, we'll kind of go from there. But if anything else does come up, again, you can always reach out to any one of us. Uh, if you weren't currently appointed with MetLife, reach out to me directly. We can def we can definitely get you set up ASAP. So if the time comes, uh, if you do have a client that's saying, you know what, we like all of this, um, you know, retire-wise, uh, this whole program, we love everything that's being shared with the employees, with ourselves, the brokers. Uh, do you think you can quote us any kind of dental or, or vision or any other MetLife products? Uh, at least you are appointed so we can get those proposals out to you and do right by your clients as well. So definitely make sure you're appointed if you aren't already. Uh, so with that, I just wanted to thank everyone for being on the line today. We're going to give back about two minutes of your time. So I'll leave it up to Mari to give closing remarks and then we'll uh, close out the meeting. Thank you. And I have just one little housekeeping. If any workshop participants in any of these four sessions if you are a member of the Society of Human Resource Managers, commonly known as SHRM, each session, each week of this series qualifies for 1.25 SHRM professional development credits. So if you are a SHRM member and you would like a, a credit, of course the whole series qualifies for five, uh, reach out to me and we will or go through Nathan, go through Dickerson and, and let us know that you would like your SHRM certificate. Uh, we process those usually within a week or two of, at the end of the series and we'll get that to you so you can file your professional development credits with SHRM. That's great. Thank you so much. And actually there was one last minute question that came in. Thank you, Al, for that. Um, are security licenses required for anything that's been shared or, you know, if you're wanting to get involved with more on the financial side, are, are security licenses required for any of this? Because we do not pay any commissions or fees for this program because it's a free program, it's part of our communications. Uh, brokers who interact with us or bring us to a, a group do not need to be securities uh, registered. Jimmy and I are, uh, your MetLife group reps are, but uh, the, the brokers who bring this program to, to companies do not need to have securities registrations. Okay, good to know. All right, so I think we can leave it at that. Um, thank you again, everyone, for attending. If any other questions do pop up after we've sent you all of our contact information and the documents pertaining to this workshop today, uh, yeah, uh, send those questions over and we'll be happy to answer those too. All right, so with that, we'll end the meeting exactly at 11 a.m. So thank you for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll all be seeing you very, very soon. So thank you. Thank you.